Hello and welcome to the Religion Unplugged podcast. I'm your host today, Clemente Lisi, and we have a very special guest with us, Chris Broussard, a journalist at Fox Sports 1, where he serves as an NBA analyst and contributor. I know he's on the radio. He does a little bit of the NFL, so we'll get into all that as well. Thanks for being here. It's great to be here. Yeah. I've already had a great experience here at King's, and uh, I'm sure this will just enhance it. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, we're, 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 we're taping here at King's today, uh, where Chris is going to be speaking, and we had a luncheon with the students earlier, so a lot of the questions there were questions I already had in the back of my pocket, you know, but uh, you do talk for a living, so that's, right. that's I can, easy. I can talk. Yeah, sure. exactly. So I guess before we get started, I'm sure there's people listening who don't know you or never seen you on television, but, you know, Chris started out as a, like me, a print guy, worked at the Cleveland Plain Dealer, Akron Beacon, the New York Times, um, covered the NBA, covered various NBA teams in that time, he covered the New York Knicks, you know, my condolences. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> He jumped to ESPN in uh, 2014, now works for Fox Sports 1, and how'd you get into journalism anyway? You know? Well, um, when I was a, I, when I was a sophomore in college, I went to Oberlin College, I played on the basketball team, I had teammates who knew they were going to law school, or public policy school, or they were going to become an engineer, you know, everybody seemed to know, and I had, I didn't have a clue. Uh, I had thought about journalism just at times in high school because, you know, my mom would be like, you got to figure out what you want to do. You know, and I might I would think about that because I was a good writer, but I never really didn't really pursue it. Didn't write on the high school newspaper. And so my sophomore year, after looking around at all my friends and saying, I, I, I said, man, they all have a plan. and I don't know what I want to do. And I got scared. And I was like, I, I've got two years, two and a half years to figure out what I want to do before I become a responsible adult, you know, and have to provide for myself. And so I came up with a formula. I said, let me take something that I'm that I enjoy plus something I'm gifted at and try to make a career at it because I wanted a career I would have fun at that I would enjoy. And so something I've always enjoyed was sports. I played football, basketball, and baseball all the way up through high school. Uh, played basketball, as I said, in college. And I would, when I, anytime we had to read a book in school, like, and you could choose your own book, it would be a sports book. Right. Like, I was just, sports was my life. I would read Sports Illustrated religiously. Right. And I was gifted at writing. I always was just a good, you know, everybody has their gifts. Right. And I had a natural gift of writing. I loved when we had essay tests because I could, you know, write it like I know more than I might actually know. Right. And um, so I said, let me try combine sports plus writing and try to be a sports writer. And Oberlin did not have a journalism program. It was a liberal arts school. Right. But I worked with some professors and created like private studies in journalism with them and um wrote some articles on the newspaper for the school, which were all of the ones I wrote were on the basketball team, which I played on. Right. So it wasn't exactly objective journalism. Right. But I was very, you know, I knew that it was important to be well-rounded and to um, show that you were a well-rounded person. So my grades were good. I, I graduated with a 3.0. And I, in addition to playing basketball, I got involved with a ton of extracurricular activities, like various committees right. uh, on the campus. I was actually on the committee 
that interviewed and chose other people for the other committees, you right. know, in addition to being on a few more committees. Right. So uh, there was an internship, uh, summer internship in sports writing at the Cleveland Plain Dealer, which at that time was the biggest newspaper in Ohio. Right. And I hit it off with the, the guy that interviewed me. Uh, and he knew I didn't have any, much experience. He even said, I see you don't have much experience, but we must have talked for 60 to 90 minutes. And a lot of it wasn't about journalism. Right. It was just, you know, just life and my experiences and this and that. And so right. he said, look, I'm going to give you a shot. And I started off, it was tough because I didn't really know journalism. Right. But and but they get and they gave me constructive criticism. The I remember the assistant sports editor really ripping me. The first story he sent me out to do was a minor league baseball game, okay. and I was going with the writer who was writing the story for the paper. Right. I was just going to write, you know, the story for him to see what I could do. Right. And they gave me. You probably remember those little Radio Shack. I don't know if you oh, remember those that. little tape recorder. Yeah, well, no, it was yeah. a little Radio Shack. The precursor to the laptop. Oh right! And you could you would write your story yeah, on that. It was super heavy. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was you could see like eight lines. Right. And you'd have to hook it up to a te- a payphone or a telephone and right. send it. I had never even seen anything right. like that. Right. So I write the story. He rips me. You know, basically saying, "Look, journalism is not for everybody." He ain't saying it knows, but no, you know, but it's, it's that's what you're getting. Right, right, right. <laughs> and people in the newsroom could hear and, oh, and all right. that. And so I really, you know, I, I, I was like, I can either man up and take the constructive criticism that he gave me or I can crumble, you know. And, and I took the advice he gave me. Other writers gave me some advice here and there. And from that point on, everything I wrote got in the paper, got published. And they told me they would hire me when I graduated. They liked, you know, what I had done that summer. And so that's how it all started. So when I... When I went back for my senior year, this was the summer of my junior, after my junior year. When I went back for my senior year, I knew I already had a job at the Cleveland Plain Dealer, which, as you know, was right. just great, such yeah. a relief. So I, after school, after I graduated, I interned at the Indianapolis Star for the summer and then went and worked at the Plain Dealer for four years before I went to the Beacon Journal. It sounds to me, knowing your bio too, that your senior year in college is a pivotal year for you, not just this internship ahead of time, but also that's where you dedicated your life to Christ. Yeah. And you yeah. became a Christian, uh, and you're an unapologetic Christian in the media now, which is pretty rare right. um, in some <laughs> cases. So tell us about a little bit about the faith journey. I know that you grew up in a Catholic household. Right. right. And how did that shape your early life, and then you became it's, a It's interesting girl. because it is, my salvation is related to that summer internship. But, yeah, I grew up Catholic. Uh, my family is Creole from Louisiana, Af- right. black Creoles in Louisiana. And so Catholic, you know, a lot of c- black Catholics down there. And my father actually studied for two years in high school to be a priest. Okay. Uh, he went to seminary in Cincinnati, Ohio for two years. They, he, he grew up there, even though he was born in Louisiana. And um, I'm glad he didn't. He, he uh, takes that journey. I'd be talking, yeah, to, yeah, yeah. I'd be talking to myself. Right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm glad he didn't. Um, you wouldn't be here. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so we. I grew up Catholic, going to church every Sunday. Sure. Went to Catholic schools. It's in your um, culture. Yeah, yeah. Your, yeah. I, I really didn't. I'm thankful for the things I was taught. Right. The Ten Commandments, uh, the Bible stories, the Beatitudes, knew the Apostle. Like, you know, I... 
it's interesting because my kids were raised not Catholic. Right. You know, we just were Christians and obviously we taught them about Jesus and went to church and everything. And they knew Bible verses and just, you know, they right. knew the a lot about the Bible, but they they didn't know a lot of the stories I knew growing up. Like, again, who all did, who the 12 apostles were. Right. Or what were the Beatitudes? Right. All these things, what were the Ten Commandments that we had to memorize? In Catholic school, they drilled that in. Yeah, right. yeah, exactly. Right. And and so, uh, but I so I was raised Catholic, but not you didn't didn't know anything really about a personal relationship right. with Christ. Right. And so, when I was in college, my sophomore year, I began dating a woman who was a born again Christian, and um, she really exposed me to biblical Christianity. You probably had never even heard of that phrase until then, right? Or maybe had. Um, you know, or what that meant. By that point, because we started dating when I was a sophomore. Okay. She was a senior. She's right. two years older. Okay. So I kind of had her on campus. Right. People talking about so and so is a born again Christian okay. or so, you know. So I kind of knew it, but I didn't really know what it was, right. understand right. it. Right. Um, and so I was open to praying she would want to pray as we started dating and when we prayed together i knew i noticed something different like she prayed like she knew who she was talking to like she had a personal relationship with god the father or jesus christ and all i could pray were memorized prayers right our father right now right. right. you know hail mary for, for the, the rosary the like right. yeah that's how i prayed yeah. and so that struck me you know i went to bible study with her but we but i wasn't I wasn't a Christian and I really wasn't trying to be a Christian. So our relationship was kind of this constant tug of war, her trying to live for the Lord, me essentially pulling her down. And so the soft, the summer, well, no, right before I got that internship, uh, we had been dating for about a year. We went, she was in medical school at Case Western Reserve Medical School in Cleveland. So we would see each other on weekends. So one weekend we went to a church in Cleveland and the guy preached, uh, the, it was a guest preacher, shared his testimony. He, he was from New York, had been a drug addict and, you know, got right. saved and the rest is history. And that was the first time I was really convicted and knew I needed to give my life to mm. Christ. I like, knew the lifestyle I was living wasn't pleasing to God and that I, you know, needed to give my life to Christ. But like I said, I didn't want to. Right. And I was like, you resisted. I didn't know many, yeah. many dudes who were in, in hindsight there were some guys on campus right. but I didn't really know you know I didn't understand right. why they lived a certain way right. and my friends weren't really like that most of my friends so I was like man nah I'm not you know trying to be a, a Christian but God still blessed me and that summer was even as I was running from him uh, that summer was when I got the internship at the plane dealer and so once they told they told me in August maybe a couple of weeks before the internship was over, that they were going to hire me when I graduated. And so I was ecstatic. You know, you know, I mean, going into your senior year to know you have a job that pays well, that you enjoy. It's the greatest feeling. Right. right. And so I was ecstatic. And then after a few days, I kind of started feeling like, is this it? Like, is this what life is about? Because I was raised to think the American dream was what life was all about. Um, and, you were, and you were set up for it now. Right, you were right. To... I mean, I, Chris, go to school, get good grades, so you can go to a good college. Do well in college so you can get a good job right. and have the American dream. And so now, as you said, I was I had it within the palm of my hand, within my grasp, and I started feeling like, man, 
there's got to be more to life than this. Like, this can't be all it's about. And uh, I knew it was Christ, but like I said, I was running. And I was looking for every loophole, man. Like, <laughs> trying, because at, at that point, once I had so much going for me, the promise of this job, a girl I loved, captain on the basketball team, uh, you know, everything was going well. And I was like, but I was like, it's got to be more to life than this. That can be scary, yeah. you know. And I felt like, you know, I was looking for something to fulfill me rather than Christ. Right. Like, let me find, there's got to be something that can give me some peace, that can give me some joy. And not, and it's not Jesus, you know right. what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't have to give my yeah. life to Christ. And so I kept, you know, running. And uh, eventually... God just broke me down after about six, seven months to the point where it was, I, I remember my 21st birthday is October 28th. So my parents were going to take me and my girlfriend out to dinner. It's supposed to be my first glass of wine. And right, as far right. as my parents knew, you know, <laughs> I, I started drinking in ninth grade. Right. And um, so before we went out, my dad, uh, we went out to run some errands. And I, I said to him, I said, what, what keeps you going? I wasn't suicidal or anything, but I was really like, I should be happier than this. You know, I should. And I was like, what keeps you going? Once you have a nice house, a nice car, two boys in college doing well, like once you get all that, what keeps you going? And he said good things. You know, you, you want to make more money. You want to get a promotion on your job. You want to buy a nicer car. You want to buy a bigger house. Right. You want to get make more money to help other people who are less fortunate or family members who need it. It was good stuff, but I knew, I was like, that's not going to fulfill me. Right. And not it, enough. Yeah, that's not going to fill this void. And so that day, my 21st birthday, you know how you make a wish over your cake. Sure. Like God had broken me down to the point where it was either keep running and be miserable or give your life to Christ and right. get some peace and some joy. And so instead of making a wish over my cake, and I did it inside, I didn't do it verbally. But I asked the Lord to come into my life, accept Jesus, accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and gave my life to Christ. So my natural birthday is my spiritual birthday as okay. well. <laughs> so you never forget that date, right? No, it, it no, works no. out. It works yeah. out nicely. Yeah. You were telling the group that you met with beforehand about your brother had his own spiritual journey, and right. it kind of landed him in the Nation of Islam, and that you guys were a little bit at odds obviously because you were not interested in that and he was interested in, in, in what you were doing but you gave the impression that it strengthened your Christianity it forced you to have to search more seek out right. more information about and now I'm a Christian what does that mean right, right right like because he was coming with legitimate questions of course yeah. um, and so I was all I knew is I had had this experience with Jesus Christ that fulfilled me gave me peace gave me joy um, I knew I was forgiven my, for my sins, you know, all that. But I really didn't, I couldn't really answer a lot of his questions right. and reasons why he was, he had rejected Christianity. And so that did force me to study um, because they, he studied a lot. Like, I mean, right. they, and in the nation of Islam, they studied not only the Quran, but the Bible. So he would come at me with Bible verses and, you know, this and that. And, and so it really led me to to figure out what I believe. Right. And I became a voracious reader. I mean, like, 
it is no exaggeration. I have hundreds of books in my house about Christianity, about black history, African history, African Christian history, just, you know, various Christian topics. Like, and all of that is post-college. Right. And I, I was just, I, I would read uh, a lot. Right. And that did strengthen my faith. And um, I began, you know, because the knowledge, uh, when you become confident in what you believe, then, it, you know, it just, it makes you more confident in evangelizing and uh, gives you the faith to really live victoriously. And you were a big sports fan. I feel like in the black community, there were a lot of people to look up to role models like Muhammad Ali who right. was a Muslim right right, right. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar yeah, did you have anyone who, who was a Christian who was also black who I, you thought okay I can model my life after this person or this person is a role model or, or you didn't see that that's actually a great question because I do remember Charlie Ward right. and he was if I, I believe he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated when he won the Heisman and I don't, I don't think I had given my life to Christ at that point okay. but I was I had been convicted and was feeling like I need to. And I, I, like I said, I didn't know many men or see many men who were living for the Lord. I knew guys that went to church. Right. I knew dudes on my basketball team, guys in my fraternity who went to church, who were nominal Christians. Um, even when I pledged my fraternity, we had to learn Proverbs, right. you know, various Proverbs from the Bible. Right. Um, but as far as living it, as far as really following the teachings of the Lord, it wasn't there. And so when I read in Sports Illustrated about Charlie Ward, Heisman Trophy winner, and he's a Christian, he's a devout Christian, right. that really struck me like, wow, you know, that's a dude that's a great athlete, right. you know, and he loves Jesus. I read about Evander Holyfield, right. who was a heavyweight boxer, you know, obviously became champ. Him, you know, living for the Lord. And... Um, and even musical, like with my girlfriend before I was a Christian, again, in that period where I was kind of being convicted, we went to an Al Jarreau concert with Take Six, and Take Six was there. And you know they were a Christian acapella group. Right. And seeing them, but also seeing men there being into Take Six, right. it really made me feel, okay, so there are men serving the Lord. You right. know, it's not just me that's that's feeling this way right and so all of those things kind of work together but yeah charlie ward evander holyfield seeing them from a distance and then i i got to cover charlie right. with the knicks right. and he was a great guy would definitely love the lord alan houston right both christians kurt thomas and so mark jackson was on the team as sure. well so they had a nice little group of christians right and uh, yeah, so well, it's a good segue because I think a lot of people who are Christians or sports fans are probably watching Fox now and, and see that in you. Right. I know you started the King Movement. Tell us about that. What it's about. What it does. Yeah, um, King is it's a it stands for Knowledge, Inspiration, and Nurture Through God. It's a national Christian men's movement, and in a nutshell, it's a brotherhood that seeks to strengthen men in their daily walks with Christ. So help men live for Christ Monday through Saturday, or maybe I should say Sunday afternoon through through Saturday, right. in the workplace, in their marriage, in their relationship with their children, um, in their fraternity, you know, wherever it may be. And we do that through teaching, 
through fellowship, through support, encouragement, and um, brotherhood. And so we have about 20 chapters throughout the country, in all, basically all regions of the country. Uh, every cha- local chapter meets once a month, and then they also do community service or evangelism, you know, at, at various points during the year. Um, the, our meetings, we want real talk. Like really, you know, we've had meetings where guys talk about battling with pornography, uh, battling with alcohol, whatever it might be. And, you know, through just other brothers sharing their stories, sharing the word, praying in a way that's not condemning, but not condoning either. You know, we can help brothers, you know, come out of that. We've helped men whose marriages were really struggling and uh, helped them stay married and and get the victory in that regard. And um, we do events at the Super Bowl now, at the NBA All-Star game. At the Super Bowl, we do do a huddle. And we generally do it at an HBCU, a historically black college or university, in the city the Super Bowl's in. So we've done it at Morehouse. We've done it at Florida Memorial. This year it's in Phoenix where there is no HBCU. Right. So we gotta figure that out. And last year it was in LA, so we did something at a community college. But we have ex professional athletes come in right. and we speak about faith. Like they speak about their faith in Christ to we'll have about four hundred men, high school and college age boys and men there, and we'll speak to them about domestic violence, about uh career development and uh career development about um, uh, finances and also about faith in Christ. So we, we address various lifestyle issues, but also tie it all up into Christ. And so, um, so that's been great. And then we do a national summit every year. Uh, this year, we've done it in Memphis. We've done it in Atlanta. And this year, it's going to be in Philadelphia in March. We've had Daryl Strawberry speak, uh, Brian Dawkins, who's speaking this year, Greg Jennings, the men who love the Lord. And so it's uh, it's really going well. It's really going well. Yeah, it sounds like you're really filling a void. What you know? What what is keeping men from going to church? What do you think it is? Man, because even in your own life, it sounds like it was you know a girlfriend, right? Or right. you say, oh, I went to church as a kid. My mother took me, or my aunt, right? My grandmother. Right. It's usually the women in your life. What what is yeah. it? Yeah, and know? my dad did take me to church, Catholic church. Right. But you're right. Like, um, as far as biblical Christianity, I didn't see that with right. men. Um, I think that, and you know, this is across racial lines right. where women uh, are far more represented in the body of Christ than men are. Men are were created by God to glorify him, to live a certain way. And that that's really the only way you'll be fulfilled. You know, and men we try to fulfill that void, that eternity which is in our heart. We try to fulfill that with sex, with drugs, with alcohol, with power, with work, success, gambling, all number of things. But none of those will satisfy it except Christ. Right. And so I think we need, I think one of the ways we can reach men is for men who are already in the body of Christ and who are committed to live it out boldly right. and even to unite in some way um, and work together and 
you know, ex exemplify a Christ-like lifestyle and right. be bold about it. When I've been bold in my faith, in situations where a guy might have been talking about women in a certain way, and I've just said something like, yo, I don't rock like that, man. I, I follow Christ or I'm a Christian or something. They have like, it's a, every time it's been, oh man, I'm a Christian too. Or, oh man, like, like they were intrigued, right? you know? And so, but, but you don't really see that. Right. You don't see many men, but we, we promote the essence of manhood as being a womanizer, being a power monger, being rich, uh, something like that. That's what they, drinking. That's what we value as a society. Right, right. right. And that's what a, a man, I mean, we all grew up. I love the Fonz. He's a womanizer. Right. You know, that's right. Sam it's Malone cool. and Cheers. Yeah. Right. He's a womanizer. Like, right. that's right. what's cool. Right. You know, getting drunk, getting high. And we have to, the men who are in the Lord, uh, we have to show that, no, this is really what manhood's all about. Following the Creator, living for the Creator, providing for your family, being faithful to your wife, raising your children, loving other people, being compassionate toward other people. Like, we have to show that that is what Christ is about and walk in victory, right. you know? Um, and so I think that that is really the answer. If men see that, like, we talked about the nation of Islam. Right. And in the 90s, the Nation of Islam was really strong. And a lot of black men joined. It was because they saw in Louis Farrakhan a man who was bold, a man who, you know, was handsome and right. charismatic right. and and fearless as far as saying what was on his mind. Right. Um, speaking out about racism, speaking out about black issues that we need to improve on. Right. And I think a lot of these young men who don't didn't have a role model, didn't have a father, um, or or if they had men around, they didn't see that type of strength. Right. They're looking at like I want to be like him. You know, and and you find out, I mean, it's it's he's not what you thought he was. <laughs> um and you you don't have the Holy Spirit, you know, so you can't be what you thought you were going to be. So right. I think we who do have are led by the Holy Spirit. We need to be bold and courageous, not silly, not ridiculous, not careless and just th throwing Jesus all over the place and Bibles at everybody. Right. But live a biblical lifestyle and when opportunity comes, be willing to share it. Boldly and courageously. It sounds like this philosophy you just said is what has gotten you the ability to speak about God, but also work in a secular yeah. newsroom, secular environment at ESPN and at Fox, right? So I think it's you've been able to straddle that line, right? No, absolutely. Because when I became a Christian, I saw like a lot of my heroes switched from being because I was starting to read so much, and a lot of my heroes switched from being. Athletes like Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan, Eric Dickerson, who nothing against them, they were great. But my they my heroes went from being them to being Frederick Douglass and Harriet Tubman, and you know, uh, people who had represented God and done great things for African American people, and they were bold about their faith. Like, you 
black American history is replete. Almost all the black leaders, almost, were followers of Jesus Christ. Frederick Douglass was incredibly outspoken about his faith. And I, you know, his famous speech on the 4th of July. What does the 4th of July mean to the Negro? When we were still in slavery and we're supposed to celebrate Independence Day. And for him to speak so boldly at a time when he could have been killed easily um, and blacks were still in slavery, stuff like that. I was like, man, if they can be that bold. And, and obviously the ultimate example is Jesus, who was bold. And Paul said, pray for boldness. You know, there's a power in boldness, you know. Um, and that all that led me to be like, you know what, man? I got to be bold. Because one thing I don't, look, we all have, there's times to speak to a certain audience. And I understand that. My time, the time, when I'm on first things first on Fox Wars 1, that's not a time to speak like what we're talking about now. Right, right. But one thing I don't really want, sometimes it might be unavoidable, but I really, I really don't want people being shocked about Chris. Like, if they hear me talk about the Lord or hear me talking about racial issues, and they're like, wow, I he's like that? Like, I didn't know he was like... I, I want them to know this is who Chris is. Right. You don't have to agree with it. You don't have to like it. I'm not going to throw it all in your face all the time. Right. But this is who I am. Right. You know, I'm just going to be genuine. Right. And you can be genuinely who you are. Sure. You know, and so I think that's kind of the philosophy. So I have a few lightning round questions because time is uh, the essence <laughs> here. So Chris of all time, Jordan or LeBron? Jordan. <laughs> I love LeBron, but second. He's second. 1990s NBA versus today's NBA. Wow. Which one do you prefer? That's a, I know it's supposed to be lightning, right? <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I mean, I love that era. I think those teams, I think the Bulls, 96 Bulls, the best team ever. Sure. But this era is exciting. Remember, in the 90s, they weren't scoring a lot, which right. makes Jordan's 30 points a game even more impressive. Right. But they were trying to figure out how we can get more scoring into the NBA. I covered the Cleveland Cavaliers when Mike Fratello was the coach, before right. LeBron got there. And I covered dozens of games where they scored in the 70s. Really. Right. The game. I mean, now you <laughs> might see that at halftime. Right. And so I'm not mad at today's game. Um, I've always suggested this, that they really might want to look at cutting off the three-point line at the free-throw line extended. Okay. So there's no corner side three. Oh, I see. Because what I think that would do is you would continue to have three-point shooting. some gyms in, in New York because it's too small. So right, right, right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, so you would continue to have three-point shooting, which you want, but you would also necessitate the return of post-play right. and the mid-range game. And right. then, of course, fast-breaking. And I think all the sports are better right. when there's a balance. In the NFL, I don't want three yards in a cloud of dust, and I don't want arena league football. I right. want a mixture of pass right. and run. Right. Um, in baseball, I don't want all home runs and strikeouts, which is kind of what it it's is. resorted it's becoming, to. Yeah. Right. I want manufacturing of runs. I want some stolen bases. I want some base hits. Uh, and hopefully now with getting rid of the shift, that will kind of come back. But I think it's a balance is better and so I like today's NBA because it's a lot of scoring uh, guys are able to showcase their athleticism 
I'd, I'd prefer more of a mixture. You mentioned Jordan over LeBron, but where do you put Kobe? Kobe's in the top ten, um, but I, I don't think he's – like, I think it's clear Jordan was better than him. Kobe was like a facsimile version of Jordan. I mean, he was his game was very similar to Jordan's, but he didn't do it quite as well. Wasn't quite as good defensively. Wasn't quite as great of a scorer. Uh, wasn't efficient, nearly as efficient. Uh, Jordan was virtually a 50% shooter for his career. Kobe never shot 47% in a season, you know. So, but he was so he was great, but definitely below Jordan. And I think LeBron um, is 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 just a better all-around player. And um, Kobe's strength is scoring. And LeBron's, I believe, his career scoring average is higher than Kobe's. Right. You know, obviously he's played longer, so he's gonna have more. Do you points. think Kobe's myth will grow because of the tragic way like, he passed away, or or is that something to do with it? Nah, you know what? I think I don't. I, I think I think Kobe had a tremendous. He was iconic when he was alive, right. like when he retired. Sure. And I'll tell you this: most most the ex players that I've talked to that face both most. Take Kobe right. over LeBron, okay. not over Jordan, but right. over LeBron, right. and it's because they love his killer mentality, his Mamba mentality. Right. And I had one player tell me who faced both of them, who was a great player himself. He said the difference between facing Kobe and LeBron right. was like the difference between fighting Mike Tyson and Floyd Mayweather. Wow, you knew you were gonna lose either way. But Tyson way. was going to hurt you. Right. Floyd was going to beat you, right. outclass you, right. but you wasn't really going to get hurt. Right. You know? And that's LeBron. LeBron's right. going to have 10 assists and right. score a bunch of points, but he ain't going to hurt you. Kobe was going for your neck. Right. You know? And that's right. what, that's kind of how guys describe it. That's funny. Final question Who's going to win the NBA? Championship this year. I'm sure you've. I've been asked a million times. And yeah, I'm sure I, and I haven't made my. I haven't made my official pick. Right. Right now, I think the two best teams in the West are Golden State and the Clippers. I don't think that's any great revelation, but right. yeah, Golden State and the Clippers. And then um, uh, in the East, I like Milwaukee. I I, I wish Brooklyn would get it together. Right. Um, they on paper they're great. But what's in between the ears? I mean, it really, they don't have their players aren't leaders. As great as Kevin Durant is, he's not a leader. Kyrie is a, a, an incredibly strong personality, but he's not really the leader you want. And Ben Simmons obviously has challenges, you know, right. Right. Uh, mentally. Hopefully, he's over those. But those questions and Steve Nash is not a great coach. Right. So I think at the end of the day, while their talent is tremendous, it just seems like. Something's gonna go wrong, right. you know. Um, so, yeah, I, those are the, the three top teams. I think are Golden State, the Clippers, and Milwaukee. I probably would pick Golden State. Right. You so, know. if you want to reach out to you or the King Movement, how do they do that? Well, King, you can yeah. check out our website, which is KingMovement.com. Okay. KingMovement.com. Uh, and if they want to email us and find out more about it, right. you can email us at King at KingMovement.com. And they can King find you on King Twitter King. if they looking I'm on you. Twitter at Chris underscore Broussard. Uh, I am on Instagram at Chris Broussard 68. Okay. And then 
I speak, obviously, uh, at various schools, colleges, right. churches, whatever. And um, anybody that's interested in having me speak can go to Chris Broussard Speaks, ChrisBroussardSpeaks.com, and register, you know, sign up to right. have me speak, and, right. and we'll work it out. Great conversation, Chris. Thanks for being here. Enjoyed it. Thank Enjoyed you. It. The Religion Unplugged podcast is a production of religionunplugged.com and is part of the Media Project, a nonprofit dedicated to equipping journalists to cover religion. To read our award winning global religion news coverage or to find out more about Religion Unplugged or the Media Project, visit religionunplugged.com or follow us on Twitter at ReligionMag.